tuning in. 880 The Biz, Bloomberg. It's been a wild day in the markets, as always. However, we're going to bring the conversation down just a notch for the CJ Radio Show. You're going to love it. As always, we have amazing guests, and you guys are tuning in from 7 to 9. The CJ Radio Show starts right now. Get set, go! It's the CJ Radio Show. Audience, I could listen to that all night long. But we have to move on. Tonight, for our Bloomberg audience here at Miami 880 The Biz, we are honored to have Dr. Robert Quigley, the Senior Vice President and Regional Medical Director of International SOS, which is the world's largest security and medical travel risk firm, to talk to us tonight about the corona virus or is that corona like if i was to go to a bar is it corona is that how it works Corey? i believe it's uh covid at 19 these days to make it easy let's how about we ask the new name dr quigley let's ask him let's find out the details sir are you with us tonight yes i am indeed and i would stick with the covid 19 that's c-o-v-i-d 19 Corey, write that All down right, i got write it. that down so, doctor, what is it? What are we dealing with here? Well, we're dealing with a virus, and I think uh, a lot of the uh, the excitement about the virus is that it's new. It still has many details that haven't yet been differentiated, and it's the mystery that's associated with it that has caused uh, a lot of, of alarm, uh, both with the media and the community. That being said, it is a virus that is highly contagious, It's a virus that is associated with mortality, uh, be it a little bit less than what we've seen with some of its sister viruses in the same family. But it is something to be concerned about because it's spreading so quickly, almost uh, at a pace we've never seen before. Now, now, when we're talking about a virus, is is it something like... uh like you get the flu it's It's exactly like that and that's a a good analogy it's uh it's a it's a it's a virus that uh, that uh, you would acquire just as you would the flu it's uh, transmitted through droplets in somebody's uh, respiratory secretions and uh, it can be inhaled Uh, there is evidence that it can be picked up by touching a surface that has recently uh, uh, seen the virus in other words it can live on objects outside of the human body I think the big question that I'm worried about as a provider and somebody who's in this space is that we still don't know whether or not it can be transmitted uh, through droplets, respiratory droplets, from somebody who's without symptoms but happens to be carrying uh, this virus bug like they would the flu bug. Quick question. How long can it live? Do they know yet how long it can live outside of the body? That's a really good question. That particular uh, information is uh, is not yet available. 
and uh, as a result of that, uh, uh, we can't answer that question. But many of these viruses are quite strong, and they can uh, they can live outside the body for uh, minutes and, and maybe even up to an hour uh, on inanimate objects. But we don't know that uh, yet. Like influenza, how long can that live outside the body, just for comparison purposes? It can live outside the body for many minutes. So you could uh, cough onto a, a railing, for example, and uh, after you've coughed on the railing, uh, somebody could put their hands on that and then put it in their mouth and get contaminated. But that's not the usual way of transmission. And what is, what is International SOS Assistance and how does that work? We are, uh, as you uh, made in the announcement, the world's largest medical and security assistance organization. And we work uh, through uh, subscriptions where we have over 11,000 clients around the world in every industry sector who manage mobile workforces. And so they call upon us to assist those travelers uh, when they are crossing borders. When they cross borders and they have a medical or security incident, they'll reach out to us for assistance. And that could be, uh, I've been uh, sexually assaulted. I'm having a heart attack. I've lost my passport. Uh, There's civil unrest here. What do I do? Or there's a coronavirus that's infecting everybody. How do we maintain business continuity in our organization? With that being said, regarding the coronavirus, how do you maintain that? Like, what is your, uh, for lack of a better word, short-term business plan dealing with this as we speak? Well, it's a, that's the million-dollar question. Obviously, it depends on what industry sector you're calling from. If you're one of our clients in the financial world, the answer would be, well, if you have people that can work from home, we suggest you do that. If you're in uh, the energy mining and infrastructure space, on the other hand, uh, we may say to you, uh, uh, well, if people have to work and if they don't work, it impacts your productivity, you need to understand what what basic principles of universal precautions are all about, uh, what hand washing is all about, what it means about not coming to work when you're sick and so on and so forth. Now, how much business um, is International SOS doing in Asia as we speak, if that's not too personal of a question? It's not too personal. We're, we have been in existence for about 36 years. Our headquarters are in Singapore. And we have a huge presence in mainland China. So we have uh, bricks and mortar in mainland China. We have uh, uh, multiple assets there, human and otherwise. And we enjoy a very good relationship with the Chinese government. And so because of that relationship, we've been able to leverage that uh, to orchestrate and choreograph uh, a massive uh, 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 medical evacuations, uh, much more so uh in uh, in the earlier months when this first uh, rose its ugly head than now when the restrictions are so great that uh, we're limited as to what we can do. But we do uh, work very closely with the Chinese authorities and, and we do value and respect that relationship greatly. Now, Corey and I were reviewing our notes this week and we noticed that January 24th was really kind of the day that uh, I guess the news broke out. Um, were you guys aware of anything, you know, going back into 2019, November, December, that this was about to rear its ugly head on the, uh, on the international trade market? We were. And the reason we are is, is that our, our model of business is a decentralized one. So we're constantly gathering intel, uh, both uh, security and medical from all over the world through our various channels. 
And so we were aware there was a new virus that was that was starting to to uh, rear its ugly head, to use both of our uh, terms, uh, in in Wuhan City, which is a city where we have many clients who have uh, assets there. We have assets there ourselves. And then it uh, it started to expand uh, through the Hubei province. And it became clear that this was a, a virus that was highly contagious and that some people that were getting it, uh, not even necessarily in the extremes of life, were getting quite sick with pneumonias and requiring intensive care uh, treatment, and, and some were even dying. And so we knew that early on, and uh, we started to also get many calls from different uh, clients of ours in different sectors what should we do? Should we move our non-essential people out of the area? And you can imagine how that has just blossomed uh, over the ensuing uh, weeks and, and now months. Well, to be honest with you, I've read a lot of articles regarding State Department, you know, taking out essential personnel or Americans. But one thing that Corey and I are really have no knowledge on, what is Wuhan City like? I heard it was like 8 million people and a major force, but prior to coronavirus, I've never heard of it before. Well, it's a uh, it's a happening city in a in a happening province in in China. There's a lot going on to your to your comment. It is that big. So it's a big uh, metropolitan area. I can tell you what it looks like right now. It's a ghost town and it's a ghost town because the government has come in and literally uh, placed a lockdown, uh, not just uh, on the ground, but in all the ports of entry. So all massive transit has been discontinued, uh, even the uh, uh, in the sky uh, there, there. There's no flyover. So so the government is doing everything in their power to limit the extent of spread of this highly contagious disease and i applaud them for that but you can see that because the workforce the mobile workforce is so mobile and we are so globalized as a society there are still cases that are popping up in in all of these multiple countries hence the reason why the world health authority uh pulled the uh, uh the world health organization i'm sorry why they pulled the trigger on declaring uh this as a world pandemic and that, and that according to one of our that. according to one of our contacts, um, one of our guests on the show, um, the WHO just had a major conference regarding this. Is that correct? They did. I mean, the, the major conference where they made the declaration was actually some weeks ago. Uh, they're most uh, you know, they, and they continue to give updates. But when they pull that trigger and when when the World Health Organization, the WHO, uh, makes the declaration that puts all these countries on notice and and if it's a country like we live in in america we have a robust healthcare infrastructure and we can respond accordingly and you've already seen what we've done we've we've we've, we've partnered with the cdc and the state department and we've we've we've, we've issued and implemented uh, new regulations on on how we're going to manage people that have come in from mainland china and and the epicenter in particular how we're going to manage them when they come back into our country whether we're going to quarantine them whether we're going to put them on home isolation and a lot of these practices are, are fluid but you can imagine if you're a country that's in an emerging marketplace like uh, somewhere in southeast asia you don't have the infrastructure to to contain uh incoming and inbound travelers to the extent that we do here and you can see where this can start percolating out into some of these uh, uh, countries with a, a weaker healthcare infrastructure to America. Would the UN come in and kind of control that, or is it 
the country controls it and the U.N. is kind of knocking at the door. Yeah, this is more of a of, of a, uh, uh, of a of a of a solution's got to come from the country's health authorities. So, so as I said, we have the privilege of having you know the CDC based in Atlanta here, even though they've got a footprint that's global, and the State Department the same thing. But then there's there's, there's regional uh, uh, health departments and there's uh, there's uh, citywide health departments, and most countries have a similar infrastructure. It's just not as robust as ours is, and so consequently they may not have the wherewithal uh, to enforce uh, all of the things that we can do here in America to really limit its spread. Uh, For example, um, they just, uh, you know, recently, like maybe like six hours ago, they just, um, and you mentioned the Hubei province, they, and two, two cities, they declared wartime measures. So say if I'm a client and I call you and say, Hey guys, they just declare wartime measures, which I'm not exactly sure what that means. What do we do? How do you, you guys help me, you know, well, so so it's a good question, and and it's so fluid. So so everything is evolving on a daily basis, and and in that epicenter in Wuhan city and and in Hubei province in particular, as I mentioned a few moments ago, it's on complete lockdown. And so we do have clients that that are there that are basically they have to hunker down in whatever residence they have and abide by the law. Despite our great relationship with the authorities in China, we cannot break the law and we can't disrespect whatever uh, measures they put in place. And so our advice is that um, you want to uh, obviously not congregate in public forums. And you couldn't even if you wanted to, because the streets are being lined by uh, by the military uh, who are making sure that uh, uh, that people aren't uh, uh, commuting in areas where they shouldn't be and congregating in areas where they shouldn't be until such time as that gets lifted. And that'll be determined by the local authorities in um, in China. And they're looking for a plateau. And unfortunately, we've not seen the plateau. And it's been exacerbated in the last 24 hours because the government has decided to change what they uh, call a confirmed case. And now what they're saying is you don't just have, have to have a, a laboratory a positive case, but anybody who's got an x-ray that's suggestive of uh, the coronavirus infection and or any signs and symptoms, we will we will call and declare a confirmed case. So all of a sudden, the numbers have gone up dramatically just in the last 24 hours, where some of us were hopeful that we might be coming to a plateau, but that's not the case right now. So until such time as we reach a plateau, I'm sure the authorities in China are going to keep us on a relatively strict lockdown. And those are the numbers we saw yesterday regarding the 15,000 new cases. Is that correct? That's correct. And that's the new cases were that the the definition of what is a confirmed case changed yesterday as per the uh, the the decision of the Chinese authorities, such that you, you were a confirmed case, whether you had a laboratory proved case using the standard uh, a PCR molecular biologic assay that they use when they analyze your your sputum to just anybody that had an abnormal x-ray and or fever and or upper respiratory tract symptoms or any of the above. So the x-ray is just uh, an x-ray of your lungs. And if they're not clear, yep. you have uh, possibly the coronavirus. Is that how it works? Teach us. Teach us. That- Yes, yes, that's so so typically there 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 is an appearance you will see on a on a on a on an x-ray and but the but the x-ray can't make the diagnosis it can suggest it but my point to you is that the authorities have lowered 
have lowered their criteria that they're using to make the the declaration that it is a confirmed case. So I could be coming into a, a healthcare facility uh, with a cough, a fever, uh, not feeling well. They do an x-ray. My x-ray is a little bit abnormal, but I actually have the flu. But they're going to just say everybody's got uh, a coronavirus, hence that, that huge uh, increase in the numbers uh, uh, to the range of, of fourteen or 15,000, whatever it was in the last 24 hours. So how does that affect um, like the plateau? Like Just because they changed their metric and all of a sudden there's more people, technically the same people were probably sick yesterday. So how do you, how do you guys, how, how do they gauge the plateau if the metrics are just changing from day to day? That's a really good question. They can't. So what we're hoping is that as they introduce these uh, new or modified metrics, that we will now we've sort of recalibrated and now we're going to eventually start uh, this trajectory is going to keep going up and then we will ultimately plateau out. I don't know when that's going to happen now that they've got these new criteria. Uh, we all hope that it'll be sooner than later, but this could go on for a while. And for our, our listeners, explain how plateau out, how they gauge the plateau and how it plateaus out. Um, can you explain that a little bit more in detail, please? Yeah, and I apologize if it's confusing, but what, when I say plateau, I'm, I'm saying that every day we are seeing the, the numbers of new cases, confirmed cases, keeps rising. It rises, it rises. And we want to see that number start to level off and start to decline so that we go from 600 a day to 400 a day to 300 a day to 100 a day to none a day. That, that's what I mean by reaching a plateau and then, and then going on the decline. One question I have. How does that affect us here in the U.S.? We hear about all these planes coming in and there's, uh, you know, quarantines at the airports, uh, you know, I guess California specifically. Or like you mentioned, infrastructure, like it, it depends on the country's infrastructure. If this happened in the U.S. or like, you know, if no, we had a little bit of well, a we have a quarantine well, we have situation a quarantine, here, right? But I'm just speaking our infrastructure. How is that different that we might handle this a little bit differently than, say, China? Well, for example, well, first of all, we're not in the epicenter, so we, we haven't got this, uh, and we don't have uh, populations that are so densely uh, uh, placed in one area uh, that, uh, as you would see in the metropolitan areas of China and, and in and Wuhan City is, is a great case in point. The people are in very close proximity just by virtue of, uh, of culturally how they've elected to uh, set up their, uh, their, their own metropolitan areas. So we, we don't have that, number one. Number two, uh, we, we are all of the international airports in America right now, uh, that have, uh, uh flights coming in, uh, from, uh, mainland China. There are screening processes in place and there are healthcare providers from the CDC that are there to ask questions, to look at people, to see whether or not, uh, they look symptomatic. Uh, and there's a very low threshold for pulling them aside and doing further, uh, interrogation. And if necessary, uh, either putting those people on home isolation and in the extreme cases, uh, uh sending them to a, a hospital that has agreed to accept these kinds of patients. On the other hand, and some of those uh, uh, flights you referred to, and there weren't that many, but there were enough. Uh, there were military bases uh, in the, uh, uh, on the West Coast that have accepted uh, these uh, patients coming in specifically from uh, the epicenter, and they are putting uh, these uh, uh, groups of people uh, from the wide-body aircrafts into a 14-day quarantine, which corresponds to the incubation period of the disease, and then they're letting them go home thereafter. 
Uh, and so, so we have screening processes in place, and they range depending on what sort of a population we're talking about. Where were they coming from? Um, were they coming from the epicenter? Were they coming from? Uh, um, were they coming from mainland China? And and this has all been uh, choreographed by the CDC and the State Department, and it's 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 very uh, uh, well uh, uh, orchestrated uh, in all of these uh, airports where we have international travelers coming in from. Uh, uh, who spent time in China in the previous 14 days. Now, regarding your business, International SOS, ha- have you dealt with something very similar to this in the past? Is this how you uh, kind of got into your industry? Uh, well, we, we certainly uh, have been involved in all the recent uh, pandemics in the past. For example, SARS, MERS-CoA, H1N1, Ebola. We are involved in all of those. By virtue of the fact that our clients who are in every industry sector will have some sort of exposure in some of these countries where these diseases uh, tend to uh, develop. So whether it's West Africa with Ebola, we've got all sorts of energy mining and infrastructure clients that are digging and mining there. And so they call upon us to support them, whether it's their uh, uh, blue collar workers or their white collar workers. Uh, if it's uh, if it's something like um, uh, SARS, uh, that was uh, something that on or about 2003, uh, there was a lot of uh, problems in Toronto and in Hong Kong. We have lots of clients uh, in the financial industry, for example, in those cities and, and so on and so forth. So, so depending on where the uh, epicenter is of the outbreak, at break, we'll have clients that have exposure there, and they'll call upon us for support, whether it's just uh, advice, uh, whether it's getting them out of there, whether it's helping them develop business continuity plans or all of the above. That's where we uh, show our value to our, our, our subscribing clients. Now, you're a doctor. How did you end up in this industry? <laughs> I'm a, a, a former cardiothoracic surgeon, as a matter of fact, and uh, I retired in 2007, and uh, uh, I was recruited by this company uh, 13 years ago uh, and asking me whether or not I had an interest in getting involved, and I thought their their uh, value proposition and their existence was so unique, uh, I thought I'd give it a try for six months. So here I am 13 years later, still going strong. So obviously, uh, I like them, and they like me, and I absolutely feel privilege to do what we do because we can help so many people in distress because the vulnerability one has when one crosses borders and realizes that in a country they may be entering to do commerce, there isn't the healthcare infrastructure that we take for granted. Uh, a lot of these callers, and we get about four and a half million calls a year through our 26 assistance centers around the globe, these people are in trouble and, and we can help them. And uh, it's a real privilege to be able to do that. Now, who, who, what type of company or industry is your number one client? Is it like a mining company or is it a healthcare company? Um, you know, do you work with NGOs? How does your business all work? The, all, 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 all of the above. All of the above. So any company in any uh, sector, uh, government, non-government, financial, manufacturing, automotive, uh, healthcare, any company that understands what duty of care is all about. And duty of care is, is nothing more than doing the right thing for your mobile workforce. So any company with an international footprint who's deploying people either as expats or as uh, business travelers across border, they understand as part of their duty of care agenda, how do we mitigate against foreseeable risks? 
And the only way we can do that is to to partner with a, a medical assistance and security company that can help us do that. So we can then turn to our our employees and say, look, we're, we're thinking of what's in your best interest. We want to add as a benefit uh, medical assistance and medical security, I'm sorry, and uh, security assistance so that we protect you when you cross borders. And that's what we do. All right, so like say if one of our listeners right now owns a company and he's going to, you know, they're doing a conference or they're going to be traveling. What's the steps? How do they contact you? Who do they speak to? What are this process that they go through to use you guys? Well, we have a website. It's internationalsos.com. And thank you for asking. They can just go on there and follow the prompts. Uh, there's all sorts of information on that. But for example, we might have a company who's an existing client who doesn't uh, use our uh, resources that much, but they're going to have a sales conference, an annual sales conference on one of the Caribbean islands. So they'll reach out to us and say, we're going to have a sales conference down there. Do you have any advice? Well, we do. We, we need to go down and do a site health review and a site security review on that particular island to see what the, the infrastructure exists like. So we do a gap analysis and we say, we think we can offer X, Y, and Z to support your folks, your men and women, when they're at this conference for the three days to make sure that nobody gets sick or injured or into any sort of security problem while they're down there. So that's another dimension of what we might do to existing or prospective clients in any sector. So like your subscription service. So like if I owned a company, I was using you guys, I can change that subscription service as needed throughout the, you know, to fulfill my needs. You would pay a membership fee, and the membership fee would be best be based on uh, what we call the subdeck, which is the number of travelers that you declare when you sign up. And then those tra- travelers are um, are able to call any of the assistance centers 24 hours a day, talk to a doctor or a security professional for free. 50 times a day, 100 times a day if they wanted to. That's part of the subscription. And then there's all sorts of other benefits. They would get alerts um, that are relevant to them based on their uh, travel itinerary uh, and so on and so forth. So we have a bunch of uh, uh, added tools that they can uh, uh, include in their subscription travel tracking so that managers will know where their people are. And and we have all sorts of spinoffs on the travel tracking tools uh, and so on. Well, we want to thank you very much for your time tonight. And uh, we definitely, Corey and I, and Matt, who you have yet to speak to, our board op, who's 100% a team member, we want to thank you so much for your time tonight. But before we go, we want to invite you back to talk about this more at different times. But also, where's the best place to reach you for the clients that are listening right now? Best place to reach me, as I said, is on our website, internationalsos.com. You just Google that, and, and, and we pop up, and you can see all of the services that we offer. You get a flavor of what we're doing. And because we are so concerned, we are, uh, for, for lack of a better word, we are a healthcare organization. We believe that we have an obligation to let the public know what's going on as well. And so there's information for the public that aren't even uh, members of our uh, organization so they can learn about uh, COVID-19. We believe that's uh, something we have a, a moral obligation to do in the spirit of our corporate social responsibility. Dr. Robert L. Quigley, we cannot thank you enough for your time tonight. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Great to talk to you guys. All right. Have a great night. We'll talk to you next week. You bet.
One in four people live with a mental health condition. This means that someone you know has probably had thoughts of suicide. We never know what another person is going through. The Suicide Prevention Lifeline is a number you can call if you know someone who is really struggling and you're wondering how to be supportive. It's also a number you can call if you're ever in a crisis. Enter this number into your cell phone, 800-273-8255, 800-273-8255. You never know whose life you might save. It might even be your own. Thanks. Hi, everybody. It's Johnny Irish, your host with your social good moment. I wanted to send out a quick reminder regarding dress for Success Miami. This is an amazingly powerful charity that really puts puts our city back to work. And they do that by providing training, providing education, and most importantly, providing the wardrobe needed for people to go on job interviews. So if you've been fit and friendly all year, what I'd like you to do, go through your closets. If you have extra professional clothes that you're not wearing anymore that don't fit, drop them off at Dress for Success Miami. You can contact me at any time for further details or go to dfsmiami.org. Again, that's dfsmiami.org. This is 880 The Biz. Expanding business talk globally. Want to get current with the latest in business, market news, data, and expert analysis? Stay with 880 The Biz. CJ Radio Show continues now on 880 The Biz. Here are your hosts, Johnny Irish. Put that coffee down. And Corey Morgan. Coffee's for closers only. Corey. Yes. I think that uh, that was a stellar interview. And I want to tell you something really quick. I have met a few people. And no regards to Miami International Airport. I know you don't like to talk about it because I love it so much. <laughs> the planes, the planes. The planes. But to be honest with you, that is a stellar business. It's basically, you know, corporate security for yeah. international travel. Yeah. One thing I wanted to ask him is um, what other security situations, because he named a few there. So, you know, right now you're thinking of uh, COVID-19, but you don't think about, I mean, he mentioned from rape to robberies to stolen, you know, whatever it is, whatever they're dealing with, they deal, it sounds like they deal with every situation that could be, I can imagine being like, you know, in a third world country and being stuck somewhere and something happens, you lose your passport, you get mugged and just trying to get out of there. Uh, Absolutely. What if there's no U.S. embassy there, you know? Yeah. And you got to realize one of the great things which people don't realize, I just left the microphone real quick, is it's all on an app. So the app lets you know, you know what? Do not drive down that street. So they give you pointers as they go. They send you alerts. It's all run by satellites. Wow. Um, It's really an interesting industry. And I'm glad we had it. But I look forward to having him again. Let's not waste too much time. We... We have a stellar guest coming on right now. All right. Do you know her name? Uh, Dr. Prime? Dr. Pri- Dr. Pen- Prime. Do you understand <laughs> what's happening right here? Dr. Prime is about to be on the show. Who's Dr. Prime? 
Dr. Penelope Prime is the founding director of China Research Center and a clinical professor for for Chinese studies and international trade. We're moving on to our next yes, topic. Sir. And trust me, I, I spoke to her on the phone yesterday. Uh, you don't want to mess with this woman. So keep everything on the level. Is Dr. Prime <laughs> with us right now? I am. Can you hear me? I yes. can. And I've yeah, already given Corey instructions, which I'm going to I'm gonna take myself just in case, you know, who needs Corey and I both in detention tonight? So Dr. Prime is a clinical professor of international business in the Institute of of international business. Uh, tell us how you wound up there and um, what your interest led you to in that field. Well, actually, I began studying China and Chinese as an undergraduate student and then did an economics PhD and did my dissertation in China about China in the early 1980s. And from there, I studied the Chinese economy through the eyes of business. And so I've, I've built... Um, a lot of experience and research on that interaction between economic development and reforms and what companies are doing. Dr. Prime, why China? What what attracted to you originally in 1976, 1980? What was it? As an undergraduate, I had no idea what I wanted to study. And I took a class, it's a classical liberal arts story. I took a class on the Song Dynasty in China and it was just so different and so interesting that I kept studying China and eventually picked a discipline, which was economic, and then applied that economics to studying China and other emerging markets as well. All in Asia? Uh, pretty much all in Asia, yes. That's been my focus. And what is your thought process uh, with the last 12 months about what's happening with Asia, China as the anchor for Asia? And uh, not only the virus, but the trade deals that we're hearing about on the news. Yes, I think uh, really what's happening is China is rising to its place after many years of, of developing. And so it's changing the face of Asia and the face of the global economy. Uh, it's finding its place, but it's also bumping into some conflicts where people aren't, aren't so happy about its rise. So there's a lot of um, positive things happening, but also some questions and friction about how China's place is going to settle in the world, and especially in Asia right now. You know, I just read your um, article from December, you know, not to bring up old news, on the conversation, uh, where you're speaking of the yeah. three fundamental issues remain uh, unsolved with the U.S.-China trade deal. Um, how is the new, yeah. um, you know, just the new outbreak um, affecting your thought process on the different phases and how it gets resolved? Well, as you know, the, the phase one deal was signed and it becomes input, implemented tomorrow. And as far as we can tell, the, that's on track. Um, so that's, that's a good thing. And I think companies are relieved that the, the deal was signed and that the tensions are, are somewhat mitigated for now. But I do think that the underlying difficult questions about technological competition and what China's military intentions are and this technological issues with the U.S. and Huawei that we even have in the news today are not resolved and won't be easily resolved with any trade deal for that matter. Now, with Huawei, and not to get off coronavirus, because that is the topic of the show, but with Huawei, and I might be saying that wrong, and this 5G network, 
Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's very complicated. Uh, uh, Huawei, in many ways, is a very strong, good company. It's done a lot of good work. It has good technology. It's an innovative company. It works well with lots of companies and governments around the world. But we don't, I think the fundamental problem is we don't trust what the relationship is between the Chinese government, especially the Chinese military, and its own companies. Now, Huawei is a private company. It's not a state company. But if asked or pressed to, to spy or do whatever the, the military um, asked it to do, it probably assumed it would, it would do that. It would have to do that. And so it, it opens up vulnerabilities that we can't control or the Great Britain can't control or Germany can't control. And, and so, at least at this moment, the way that the technologies are set up, and so it's, re- it's raised red flags in, in various parts of the U.S. government and in other governments as well. But they are going into England, am I correct, for the 5G? That, that is the current decision, um, but certain aspects. So, you know, the technology is pretty complicated and many different pieces of it. And Huawei's piece has been mostly um, kind of the cable side, the back end side. And so the idea is, I, I'm not a technical person, so, um, but just in general, the idea is that Huawei's peace would not be attached or have access to data and other potentially sensitive parts of that system. Okay. And I, again, I apologize. I know we, we came on the show to talk about the coronavirus, but now, you know, we just tickled the little 5G thing. Um Hawaii, if I'm saying that correctly, they're basically just Huawei. Hawaii, right? Huawei. 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 Okay, so it's there the H U at a W. Is that correct? Okay. Huawei. Yeah, better. Um, basically, they're just a box on the pole. Am I correct? Well, they've expanded from that. They're, they have some sophisticated patents and technologies, but you're right that they are have focused on hardware. And speaking of hardware, how do you think that um, this new current uh, COVID-19 or coronavirus outbreak is um, going to affect the supply chain? I know a lot of people, a lot of companies now um, are trying to mitigate disruption and plan for the future. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, with anything that causes uncertainty, it, it, it really is difficult for business to make decisions. And this has a lot of uncertainty, as you know, because even your guest, you know, we just don't know when it's going to peak and how serious it's going to get. So any company that has business with China today is really scrambling to figure out what their plan should be for the next couple of weeks and maybe for the next couple of months. So if you have components being made in China that's part of one of your products, you have to figure you're not going to have those deliveries on time at this point, but you don't know how far out. But that will also depend on what kinds of inventories you had built up and if you have alternatives, can you actually switch that production somewhere else fairly quickly? And if some companies will be able to do that, but most will not be able to. Would you switch the provenance where it's built from Huan to, let's say, Shanghai or whatever the manufacturing hub is? 
or do you leave the country temporarily completely? I think both of I think both of those options are in play, but neither one are are that easy to do. The problems that you're having if you're in Hubei are going to be similar which would be things like you don't have enough workers, it's going to be similar if you're in Guangdong. Right? So it, it, it doesn't really solve the problem to, to stay in China. But if you do have other factories that you work with or you own in other parts of the world, you could ramp up there. And, and a lot of companies have that, but they don't necessarily have a whole lot of excess capacity. Now, I personally have read, and this is over the past 24 months, at least the past two years, how much manufacturing has been moving to Vietnam. Um, mm -hmm. Are those real numbers or is it just uh, outliers? No, no, those are real numbers, but it depends on the industry. So things that are labor-intensive, relatively low cost, like clothing and footwear and toys, things like that have moved already. A lot of that's already moved. Some other things, that, like more simple pumps and things like that, some of that has moved. But there's a lot of production that really is best done in China. And for the foreseeable future, those kinds of things are, are really best done in China. And even if companies leave for a while right now or close down for a while, they'll probably go back to China to do. Now, when you say that, uh, are we talking more electronics compared to fabrics? Yeah. yeah, yes. Electronics and components, things like that go into air conditioners and air conditioners themselves, for example. China does a good job with those kinds of products. And it's very hard to replicate that supply chain anywhere else in the world for certain things. Not even if we were to talk, let's say, Indiana, where the home of air conditioners. No? Yeah, e even Indiana, at least to be price competitive. Wow. Wow. So if you're preparing for supply chain disruptions in your business, what are some short-term actions you can take? You well, know, like it's tough. Yeah. I mean, unless you have multiple factories that you work with, which many do, right? So you just do ramp up one and have overtime and in some other country. So, so that's one option. There may be inventory that you can purchase, but some of these components are really specifically done for certain companies with the quality that they want. So that's hard to replicate. And whatever they choose, it's going to be more expensive in any case. Do you think that would be a permanent decision? You know, let's say we had the SARS virus, which was many, many years ago, but now we have the coronavirus. And as of news today and yesterday, 24 hours, for lack of a better word, it has exploded, you know, from 1,100 people to 15,000. I think the death rate as we speak today is 242. Who knows if that number is correct? Um, is it worth it if you have a factory in China or your production through a third party is in China? Is it worth it to move it out on a 10-year basis? On a 10-year basis? Um, well, maybe, you know, no. maybe maybe 20 years. But you know what? We're, we're going to move it now. And you know what? We're just going to forget it for a decade. We'll look at it yeah, well, know, that, in 2030. Yeah, that's, that, yeah that's, a, that's a permanent. I wouldn't say that was temporary. Yeah, you know, and it's going to depend on the industry to some extent and also the size of the company, right? The, the bigger companies have a lot more resources and, and options. 
smaller companies may actually go out of business as a result of this. But um, let's say like an Apple computer, would they not just move everything to Dublin? Um, at this point, I think they would prefer not to. What they have in China works really well, and this virus will be temporary. You think so? We don't know. Yeah, it'll be temporary, and it will be managed, and eventually the number of cases will start to fall. And the long-run effect may actually be very small. As far as it was, was hardly detectable in the long run. This one's bigger in, in some ways. And China is more connected to the world, and of course, but it's also a bigger economy than it, than it was. And so its total effect over time may be actually very small. This quarter, first quarter of 2020, I, I'm sure the numbers will, will show that China's economy was hit to some extent. But second, third, and fourth quarters, it may bounce back. You know, one thing I noticed, uh, I was doing some research, um, prior to January 24th, no one talked about this. It literally went yeah. from, oh my God, what's that? And then, boom, explosion. Is it real? We got people in quarantine, sitting at airports. Yesterday, 15,000 people. But what are we talking, three weeks ago? No one knew anything about it. Yeah, well, we apparently should have known a little sooner than we did. But um, yes, I think it's real. I think that China is doing a fairly good job at trying to contain it, especially at the epicenter in Wuhan. People are supporting the government by self-quarantine and being very careful. And, uh, you know, outside of Wuhan, things are, haven't really become as drastic. So, you know, I think it is temporary. It is real and it is temporary. And some of the new numbers, of course, are, as like Dr. Quigley said, has to do with the counting, how they're keeping track of it. So, you know, it's a process. What, what would be, um, from your experience dealing with international trade, the ETA on everyone staying home, not traveling, not doing conferences, not going to work, that kind of scenario? You mean how long it would last? Well, just, you know, from your experience, you think it would be 90 days, six months? You think it'll last the end of the year? No. Um, I mean, some people are starting to go back to work now. So, especially outside of Wuhan, uh, or at least Hubei. Um, and China's a big place. So, you yeah, know, I huge, think things right? will probably get back back to sort of semi-normal in, you know, in several weeks, perhaps. Excellent. When was the last time you were in China? I taught spring semester last year, 2019, at Duke University's uh, China University, Duke Kunshan University. And where is that? In Shanghai? Outside of Shanghai. Kind of like the suburbs. Well, it's actually in Jiangsu province, so it's a city itself, Kunshan. Okay. And but it's about maybe a hundred kilometers outside of Shanghai. No, not too far. And do you teach in Mandarin or English there, just out of curiosity? The language of instruction is English at Duke Kunshan. Now you wrote a book a decade ago, Global Giant, is China changing the rules of the game? Now it's been ten years since you've wrote that book. Are they changing the rules of the game? Well, they are shaping the rules of the game. Right. Yes. And they're a player. So it, it makes sense. When you wrote that book 10 years ago, um, did you see it come in, how much they're going to actually shape? Now they're shaping the game, not just changing it. Um, did you anticipate that, or did you expect it not to grow as dramatically as it did? 
No, I think we expected it. Okay. What What do you think is next? I think the next piece is China needs to figure out how to work with other countries in the world now that they're part of the game. The question is, how do you compromise in ways that will suit China's needs as well as the rest of the world's needs? I have one last question because we all have to go and I know you have a busy night and it's already kind of late. But um, do you think this phase one trade deal is uh, worth its salt? Well, I I think it's not the best deal for, for us in the sense that it just touches on some of the key issues that really matter, like I wrote in that conversation piece. But it's a start. And given that it was two years of difficult negotiations and tit-for-tat tariffs and and sometimes not speaking and negotiating, that having sitting down and agreeing to at least a phase one is is a step forward and a, a welcome piece of the process. Gotcha. Dr. Prime, we have to run to commercial, but before we go, we'd love for you to tell our audience um, how to contact you if you wish to be contacted, where you're at, what you're teaching, and the floor is yours for one minute. Great. Well, um, I'm the founding director of the China Research Center, and a lot of us follow China very closely. So listeners are welcome to go to chinacenter.net. And we have a online free journal with accessible articles that we share and would love to share with everyone and other resources at, at that website. Chinacenter.net, is that correct? Net. Correct. Dr. Prime, I cannot thank you enough for thank sharing you your much, time Dr. with us tonight. It's really an honor. You're, and, you're very uh, welcome. Yeah, we know you're busy, so we know we we got lucky tonight having you right. here. Have a wonderful night. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. All right, we'll talk soon. Have a great evening. Stay tuned. Hour two of the CJ Radio Show on 880 The Biz starts after these messages. The CJ Radio Show continues now on 880 The Biz. Here are your hosts, Johnny Irish. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. And Corey Morgan. Don't act like you're not impressed. Corey. Yes, Johnny. I know we're here. We're by the airport. We're in these fancy studios. But are you ready to have a good time? I'm ready. Are you are you sure you're ready to have a good time? I just want to make sure the air quality is good in here. I have I have a young fellow. A young fellow from the northeast named Tony, and hopefully I get this right, Abate. Okay. Who Tony runs the air control? At most of the major airports, and your favorite, the Lakers at the Staples Center. All right. Tony, are you on the phone with us? Yes, I am. Uh, uh, first of all, John, uh, young fellow, thank you for the introduction. Um, I don't know if it's well deserved, but I'll take it. Uh, Corey, thank you for having me, <laughs> and uh, I uh, hope to uh, 
add my infectious personality to tonight's discussion. You know, it's funny you used the word infectious during our <laughs> coronavirus show. Well, I, I'm sorry, I couldn't help myself. I need a little yeah. bipolar ionization yeah, in this Pun room. intended, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly right, exactly right. And by the way, this is the good bipolar that we're going to talk about. All right. Now, Tony, you and I were on the phone the other day, so I have a uh, a few notes here but Corey and I really didn't get too deep into it um, the technology that um, Atmos Air Incorporated is using you got from Scandinavia is that correct? Yeah actually it's a, it's a very interesting story and it goes back a long way uh, this technology has its roots in collaborations between uh, a famous guy named Albert Einstein mm. and a really? mathematician is that the guy who invented the light bulb? <laughs> <laughs> no, but he probably figured out why it worked. But, yeah, exactly. Uh, and, uh, and, and another fellow by the name of Conrad Habich. Um And a little interesting side story. They had this little group that they called the Olympic Academy. They got together once a week. They theorized about whatever they were theorizing about, air, energy, all matter of things. And then they got uh, dropped dead drunk and uh, passed out. Oh, kind of wow. like Corey last night. Yeah, it wasn't me, my friend. I was in bed at nine thirty. <laughs> so anyway, so now you're in the air quality business. Yes. All right. Exactly. So how, how does it work? Besides, uh, you know, one thing you and I had talked about earlier this week is uh, kind of very similar to water filtration, but with air just floating around that no one sees and no one notices. Well, uh, I think one of the most interesting uh, things is, you know, this coronavirus uh, epidemic, pandemic epidemics, uh, as they as they are, are like Mother Nature's way of telling us that that air around us is not really invisible and clear as it seems. But there's things in the air that can affect you and that can make you sick. Um, so what uh, we do is apply a technology that uses active air purification. Um, most air purification systems are filtration type systems. They're passive. They, you bring air to the device, device strains the air, absorbs some of it, uh, maybe has a reactive process in the device, and then it exhausts out cleaner air to dilute the space with cleaner air. Active air purification, the bipolar ion process, takes a different approach in that the ions go out into the space and they saturate that space wherever conditioned air goes and they attack these contaminants. Um, it's really a natural process. Uh, ions are not something we invented. They're something that exists in nature. Um, if you were in an area like high up in the, in the mountains, let's say you're in the Swiss Alps, for instance, Ions are very plentiful, and these things could be measured. Um, but as we go into more populated environments, we go into our cities, we go into our indoor spaces and our homes and office buildings, man-made pollution and emissions has depleted the natural supply of ions. So the electronic process that we, uh, that we use is simply restoring that air to that proper balance, and the air ions are really nature's air cleaning system that go ahead and really can address these contaminants actively at their source, not passively trying to bring them back to the device. Let me ask you a quick question. Um, how hard is it to create 
this ion, this energized ion that you're speaking of? Well, it takes a lot of engineering and a lot of design to do it correctly. And these are, you know, things that we've worked on for many, many, many years. Uh, We have several patents around our technology to really produce air ions that are effective, that can get to target, that can persist, and that can result in measurable air cleaning. And things that can, you know, show the benefits in reducing dust and spores and particulates, reducing gaseous contaminants, volatile organic compounds, things like formaldehydes and ammonias and things that can irritate people. But then things that can make you ill, you know, the bacterias and the viruses and the microorganisms that exist. And, and of course, a great topic of conversation right now uh, that, uh, that can be affected and can be neutralized by bipolar air ions. So your system hooks up directly to like an existing HVAC system or like an air conditioning unit, uh, or does your technology adapt to an existing one? Well, that's one of the nice things about our technology. It does adapt to existing air systems. So we have our systems basically, they adapt to your air system. And what we do is we size up the capacity of our systems to create the correct ion intensity. So that way the Air system has a, an engineered airflow to fill the space with, with conditioned air. We saturate that air with air ions, and we really let the ions go to work and, and do what uh, nature had intended them to do. So, like, you know, I was reading one of your case studies, you know, like for LAX, you know. Um, so explain how you go from situation, implementation, and then results. Okay. Well, the situation part was really the... Uh, uh, the engineers that designed the mechanical systems for LAX, working with the Los Angeles World Airports, had uh, looked at indoor air quality as being a, a, something that they needed to consider. Why? Well, airports are really a, a, a really diverse uh, city within a city. There's restaurants, there's shopping, there's lots of people, there's all kinds of, of activities going on. And really, modern airports have become more of a destination than a, a leg of a journey. Uh, their airports are really people spending more time in the airport. So the fact that they're spending more time in the airport, the airport wants to foster an environment that's more healthy, well-being, and something that has no distractions that would dissuade people from being there. So when those, the engineers looked at that, they looked at this active technology and seeing that it could really affect vast areas of, 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 of air in the space, rather than limited areas like a passive system might be able to address. So then once it's designed, implementation is the, the design engineer specifies it, the MEPs and mechanical contractors that are doing the mechanical work uh, supply it, and then the results have been uh, you know, in the fact that you know, ion levels throughout the airport are, are, are increased uh, many times over to what you would find in that kind of mountain range environment, and the fact that uh, uh, you know, odors, complaints, things that are very common in lots of airports uh, are not happening at LAX. And, uh, you know, Los Angeles Royal Airports uh, have been uh, implementing and putting our systems in throughout terminals and concourses and every everywhere they, they touch your mechanical systems. Now, are you able to just to run in and, and, you know, quickly switch things out? Or do you wait for them, you know, because LAX is always updating their terminals. Do you wait for them to, like, remodel a part and then you add it? Or is it something that can be added pretty quickly and efficiently? Really, we work uh, in a combination of both ways. So we uh, do a lot of work because we're designed and specified by the engineers, and it would be part of the mechanical co- uh, package. 
But we do lots of retrofits, too, because our system, again, is, is not difficult to engineer into the air system. It kind of you know, adapts to the air system, and the air system doesn't need to adapt to it. So we do a combination of both those things. Obviously, the results speak for themselves. So I know you've, you've over how many airports are you in these days? Um, let's see. On the top of my head, we have LAX, naturally. We're in Anchorage. We're in LaGuardia. We are in Tokyo, Narita. We're in Chicago, O'Hare. Uh, we're in Charlotte Airport. Um, I know I'm forgetting a few, uh, thanks to my 58-year-old brain, but uh, <laughs> there, there are some others as well. A little bit locally, like they just updated the Hard Rock Casino. You know, that crazy, they just built a crazy cool guitar. Um, you, mm-hmm. you guys did work on that, correct? Yes, actually. We do a large amount of work for uh, casinos and in particular for the, the Seminoles. Um, casinos, smoking casinos, obviously have inert uh, air quality problems. So we have uh, literally thousands of systems throughout the Hard Rock casinos in in, in uh, Hollywood and in Tampa and all throughout Florida. And then we do many casinos all throughout the country and, and other parts of the world just because of the you know, need to improve the air quality and, and basically the client experience. Um, and, you know, I have I, I don't have anything like, you know, hooked up to my air conditioning, but um, I have one of those molecules that uses photoelectrochemical oxidation. What's the mm-hmm. difference? What's the difference between the two? Because that like kills ions and does kind of the same thing, or what's the difference? Well, PCO, uh, which is that the, the, the what the molecule's active ingredient is, is a, is a form of ultraviolet light or UV that uses a catalyst to form a uh, an element called a hydroxyl, and it has somewhat of a sanitizing, sterilizing effect. But the problem is hydroxyls have an extremely limited lifespan. You can't really project them out into a large space. Mm. So a thing like a molecule or any device that works on that principle can only affect a small amount of air or some air within the device. Oh, okay. Um, our, our biggest uh, you know, difference is our active ability to really saturate large, large spaces, which is why we can you know, do airports in the Staples Center and uh, we do the entire U.S. Bank Stadium. Uh, because the active ions can really saturate a space and really clean all the air with that space. Do you guys do residential or just um, large-scale corporate? Well, that's, again, I think one of the nice parts about the the way the technology was designed uh, is that we do residential, we do very small systems, we uh, do many hotel rooms for the Hilton and, and others. Uh, residences, and then again, we can scale it up to you know large arenas if if uh, if we need to. It's pretty amazing what you're talking about. It really is, and and you know I think the it's really a uh, I think a thing whose you know time has really come um, awareness of, of air quality is is become uh, very uh, very evident, especially in the last few years. I think it's not going to be very long before. Uh, the the uh, cost and uh, and availability of air sensors to measure air quality are going to become so commonplace that people are going to wear them and they're going to look at their air quality all day long. So the fact uh, is that companies and, and and any place really needs to get out in front of this and address that air quality and address the health and wellness of their spaces. Any company's most important product is its people, and investing back in those people is something that's very meaningful. Now, I have a question for you, which kind of brings us back to our topic for this evening. Um, when we deal with, like, a SARS virus, or we deal with, like, um, COVID-19, you know, the corona 
COVID-19 virus that is obviously saturating the news and certain provinces in China as we speak. How does your technology, uh, and we know if someone touches something, that's a different story, but just air quality, how does the energized ions attack that that when someone coughs, um, mm-hmm. that the ions immediately kill that cough in the air? Well, what, uh, what, what can happen that uh, can be affected by, again, our, our ions, our active air purification, are really two things. You have the air and you have surfaces. So people can spread this uh, kind of illness by someone touches a surface, you touch that same surface, you bring your hands to your face, and now you're infected. Well, if the virus is lying on a surface, when the ions go out into the space, they're attracted to the contaminant. So they find that surface, they interact with it. What do they do? Well, if you've kind of seen these little graphics of the virus, it kind of looks like a little spiky ball. Mm-hmm. Um, well, those spikes are a protein shell that's protecting that cell, that's protecting that virus. The ion disrupts that protein layer. It actually strips a hydrogen uh, uh, molecule out of it. When it does that, the um, virus loses its ability to, number one, reproduce, but then it loses its ability to infect even if you ingest it. So that would be a, a surface effect. But also, let's talk about the air. Well, I'm sick and I cough, I sneeze, I expel out to the air, and these microscopic droplets come out of my mouth. And you can actually, I've seen graphics where it can kind of show that. Those things can travel hundreds of yards because they're so small and they have, they're so light that they can stay suspended in the air for a long period of time until you have the unfortunate uh, um, occurrence to breathe it in and infect yourself. When, when you mentioned that it takes the hydrogen out of that molecule, um, you know, the protein shell, um, is that kind of like dehydrating it? In a sense, yes, exactly right. And then, you know, just not to change the subject from bacteria virus. No, Corey, change the subject. You're, you're <laughs> no, but I'm just wondering how, how, how does it work to reduce the, like, particulate matters? Like, you know, what, I guess nicotine, I guess, like in the casinos? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, actually in the casinos, I mean, we have really two things that it's uh, fighting uh, effectively against. One are particles. So, like, when you smoke, you let uh, a particle go. And uh, particles, what ions do is they cause an agglomeration effect. They cause, because again, we produce ions that are both negatively and positively charged in very balanced quantities, and that's an important factor in ionization to make it truly effective to clean air. The ions cause particles to want to become attracted to particles. It's called agglomeration. They glom together. They get bigger. They get heavier. One of two things is going to happen. One is that a lot of particulate comes from the ground up. Mm-hmm. And if it's small and light enough, it could stay in that seven to, uh, uh, you know, five to seven foot breathing zone and swirl indefinitely until you, again, can breathe it in. Well, if we could take that particle and drop it back down to the floor much more rapidly than ordinarily would, now it's away from where you breathe. Second part, source of particles can be things that get entrained in from the air system. So the air goes through your air system. The filter is only rated to catch a certain size particle. Mm-hmm. So it flips through and it gets into the air. When we agglomerate that particle and it gets bigger and it gets heavier and it gains mass, now when it comes through that second trip, the filter has a much better chance to grab it. 
so it becomes more efficient and it takes that particle out of the air. Very and especially those very small, fine particles, because those are really the ones that are, are disruptive. They're the mm-hmm. ones that get to your lungs and cause respiratory distress. Now, Tony, I had to ask you this just the other day, but I think the audience definitely wants to know, how do you get involved in a business like this? I mean, when do you wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I'm going to clean the air for the rest of my life? Like, how did that come well, about? It's, a, it's, it's a, like, uh, it's an interesting story. Um, uh, I and the CEO of our company, Steve Levine, have a 30-year relationship. And uh, we were in the electronic security business for many years. Alarm systems, we actually ran the uh, 40th largest uh, uh, security company in, in the U.S., uh, after that successful run, uh, we started looking at what was the next, you know, growth opportunity. Where should we go? And we looked at three things, air, energy, and water. Well, water had kind of been, you know, addressed already. I mean, people drink bottled water. I don't know how many people drink tap water any longer or water that's not filtered. Um, energy had been addressed with the many energy-saving uh, uh, methods that we're taking and how we're taking looking at our energy. But we looked at air as being something that was really not addressed and had a lot of potential. So we kind of pointed towards that. And I kind of said, I'm going to reinvent myself. I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to learn everything about indoor air quality. I'm going to learn how to test the air, be an IQ professional, which I did. And then we started a company doing air quality testing, going out and going to your building and telling you what was in your air and what you could do about it. Well, uh, naturally, in the course of going to test someone's air, especially if they didn't have a problem, they said, well, if I don't know about it, it doesn't exist. And what are you going to do about it if you find a problem? And that's where we kind of came to this technology, because the solutions were sometimes very difficult and very evasive to a building and, and, and costly. So we found this technology that was very comprehensive, very adaptable, and very flexible we kind of, I, I kind of went back to my electronics background for being the electronic security business and my air quality background. I kind of put them together and uh, started you know, running the operations of the company. Now, are you guys running manufacturing in China or in the States? We do our manufacturing in States. Okay. Now, does that happen in the Northeast or is it spread out? And if, if you don't mind answering the question, if it's too personal, that's fine. No, not at all. We, we're spread out. We have some manufacturing in, in, in the Northeast. We have some manufacturing actually out in uh, Tempe, Arizona, where we have manufacturing and a large R&D facility. Oh, very good. Very good. And how many employees do you guys have, if you don't mind uh, answering? Not at all. We uh, have 26 currently. And, uh, you know, one interesting aspect of our company is we have an office in Shanghai, China. Yeah, you mentioned that the other day. Yeah, it was <laughs> one of the reasons we're on the phone today. Now, are you guys affected by the coronavirus or just everything is kind of status quo right now because you're in a major city? I mean, right now, of course, that the, the Chinese New Year, which has been extended, it was normally would have ended on uh, on Monday. And now it's been extended to this coming Monday uh, at, at current. And they may extend that out again. Um, things have been kind of a little bit, you know in limbo because, you know, nobody's really working and nobody's really addressing uh, business. But I will tell you that we have a tremendous amount of inquiries. And as soon as like uh, the, uh, the, uh, the things get back to, you know, to, uh, to, to uh, business, 
um, we are going to get a tremendous demand for our product in China because it's uh, just screaming for you know what we can provide. You guys over the past couple of weeks are building up a backlog. We absolutely are. We absolutely are. And, and you know, I, I heard you know, Dr. Prime's comments about uh, suppliers, and I know Chinese components are very common, and we've been very actively looking at our sources and our suppliers and where we can outsource uh, parts from different parts of the world, a lot of good manufacturing in, in, in Korea and Vietnam and in India and, of course, in the U.S., just so we could be sure that our supply chain doesn't get affected. How hard is it to make your product? Um, is it really a manufacturing thing where, you know what, stand on the line and put it together? Or really you need an engineering background to touch any aspect of it? Really, what uh, the, as far as making the product is concerned, it is an assembly process. What really took a, a, a lot of, lot of uh, engineering was designing the product the way it is so it could perform the way it does and it could adapt as easily as it does and you know that's that's where a lot of work and you know we had a lot of good people and a lot of a lot of engineers that are a lot smarter than i am that kind of went into you know, putting this product together all right let me ask you a question so um you know once you tell me i can get a discount on this and i <laughs> especially with the backlog tony tony I, wanna, <laughs> I didn't get a discount what are you giving tony i want to get it on here? i, I want to put it in my unit okay and i have a condo um i live in brickle in the condo Walk me through the process. Who do I call? What do I do? How long does it take? Depending on where you are, we have lots of resellers all throughout different parts of the country. Now, they may commonly residentially be your HVAC company, the people who do your air conditioning, or an air conditioning company that's in your area. So uh, first step would be finding a, a dealer of our product. Now, there are some areas of the country where we don't have a dealer. What we would do then is we could contract with uh, you individually. We can align ourselves with a contractor to get the product installed. Um, not to interrupt, but can we just buy it right off the internet? Uh, no, we don't sell it off the internet. So we, we did, we'd have to talk to us uh, either directly or through one of our resellers, only because the product has to be sized and has to be you know, uh, designed for your, you know, your home, your air conditioning system, and your circumstance. What okay. website would I go to to find, uh, to find you guys and order from you or from one of your um, dealers? It, our website is uh, www.atmosair.com, or uh, we have a, an 888 number, 888-MY-AIR-11. My-AIR-11. I like there, that. Is there enough product out there currently for, like, residential where I could just call up, they would have it, they could come and install it, or is there a backlog, or... Um, we have product in stock, and so it is no, uh, no extended backlog at all. I have a question, and I hope I'm not stepping too far into the pond here. Um, what would be the price point for a residential condo? Um, you know, depending on how many air handlers you have, you know, it's something that uh, would range. It's, it would be under $2,000 for a whole house system, you know, probably somewhere, again, depending on what the, the reseller charges from, you know, Fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars. Again, every circumstance is different. The size of your air system, how many air handles you have, that all goes into all, all goes into into play in how we can forward and design a system. And, and how th those, not to interrupt. Now, those um, for let's say a residential condo, that is basically without changing a filter or adjusting anything, is a two-year mark. Am I correct, or would a condo be three or four years? No, it, with our product, as far as maintenance is concerned, it's uh, every two years, and 
the two-year replacement is that ion tube, which is that thing that kind of looks like a missile. And so we uh, need to replace it every two years just to be sure that it's performing optimally and it's, you know, it's getting the ions that we need to be produced out into your space. Now, Tony, we have to run to break, and I hate to cut you off. It's been a great conversation and an absolute pleasure to meet you this week. But before we go, tell us where our listeners can find you on the Internet, your 1-800 number, and your name one more time. Sure. Uh, again, my name is Tony Abadi. Our website is uh, com. Our toll-free number is 888-MY-AIR-11. And please, if you call, ask for me. I'd be glad to talk to you. I love talking about air quality, and I love being able to help people with uh, improving their indoor air quality. Tony, we can't All thank right. you enough thank for joining you so much, us. Tony. Oh, thank you, gentlemen. It was my pleasure, and uh, I, uh, I uh, enjoyed being on the show. Hopefully right. this won't be your last time. because We, uh, we love sure. to breathe air, Corey and I. So... Uh, <laughs> Hopefully, you'll come back and teach us how to do it correctly. All right, Tony. Thank you much. Be my pleasure, gentlemen. All right, big guy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Biz. South Florida's exclusive home for Bloomberg Radio. Hi, everybody. It's Johnny Irish, your host with your social good moment. I wanted to send out a quick reminder regarding Dress for Success Miami. This is an amazingly powerful charity that really puts puts our city back to work. And they do that by providing training, providing education, and most importantly, providing the wardrobe needed for people to go on job interviews. So if you've been fit and friendly all year, what I'd like you to do, go through your closets. If you have extra professional clothes that you're not wearing anymore that don't fit, drop them off at Dress for Success Miami. You can contact me at any time for further details or go to dfsmiami.org. Again, that's dfsmiami.org. Want the latest in news, traffic, contests, and more? Stay with 880, the biz, wherever you go, with the leading voices shaping the conversation around world markets. 880, the biz, where money talks. The CJ Radio Show continues now on 880, the biz. Here are your hosts, Johnny Irish. So he did take care of my Bubba Gump money. He got me invested in some kind of fruit company. And Corey Morgan. So then I got a call from him saying we don't have to worry about money no more. And I said, that's good. One less thing. Corey. Yes, John. I hope you're breathing fresh air because the air quality from that last segment is through the roof. It feels like it already. I'm breathing better. I almost can't wait to get Tony back on air. Yes, ma'am. The guy's a killer. I mean, how do you wake up in the morning and say, you know what I'm going to do for the rest of my life? Make I'm going to clean air. Have you ever done that? Yes. I mean, I know you might have had an <laughs> asthma attack, but have you ever just woke up in the morning and said, you I'm know what, very, I need some fresh air? Yeah, I recycle my air. I'm very, um, actually, I do it every couple days. Yeah, I Let it in fresh do. air, and then I run it through filters. Yeah. Core the environmentalist. I'm at, right? Huh? I actually believe that. You, you do believe yeah. that, right? Yeah. Right, right. So, Johnny, tell me who we have next, my friend. We're about to kill it. All right. We have the COO. 
according to some people, the CEO of two companies called Hotel Planner and Meetings.com. Now, Mr. Bruce Rosenberg uh, is a local here. We got lucky with this one. We should have actually made him drive here, but yeah, you know, you know we're we're not gonna we're not gonna make anyone sit in Miami traffic just for the fun of it, especially airport traffic. Yeah, but he's a South Florida guy. He's out of Boston, and uh, HotelPlanner.com. Really, what their specialty is is not just you and your wife can go rent a hotel room, but you and three hundred of your friends. Rent a hotel room, rent a conference, get plane tickets, fly to some company, some nice. country, and guess what? You host the conference. I like it on you, Johnny. Yeah, I think, <laughs> is Bruce on the line already? Oh, All right. I didn't know yes, he was sir, on the I'm line. Here. I shouldn't have said that. All right, Bruce, is Bruce on the line? <laughs> I like the intro. It's very, very nice of you. I didn't know you were listening. I, I would have did it so much more professional. You know what it is? I get on air, I stand up, I have no chair, I have a microphone, and I just go off. I'm just... You know what, Matt? I need a little music right now. We might need to take a break. <laughs> nah, I'm just kidding. Bruce, welcome right, to the Bruce, show. Welcome, welcome to the welcome, show. Welcome, welcome. Thanks, thanks. Thanks, thanks, guys. Glad to be here. Now, let me just give Corey a quick update from our conversation just earlier this week. Um... Uh, Bruce here and hotelplanner.com yes. slash meetings.com. Uh, they do a tremendous amount of business on the world. Uh, also, um, he's seeing a decline in China because mm -hmm. of this coronavirus. Um, Asia in general is not as big of a decline, but definitely a little lower. And he is being a genius. I shouldn't say this on air. So, guys, keep this between us. <laughs> Bruce is interested in making a few acquisitions. Oh, okay. yeah. Don't tell anyone, though. <laughs> Bruce, well, you introduce yourself. That's okay. Uh, well, Bruce Rosenberg here. That was a very, very, very nice intro. But it's amazing the difference um, um, a couple days makes in terms of what's happening in Asia. So uh, when I talked to you a couple days ago, business was way down. But there was still some business. But it appears that... Uh, with the leak, with the recent forecasts and the announcements of like sixty thousand cases of coronavirus, that business essentially to China, you know, from the U.S. has stopped. So really, nobody's booking hotels and traveling into into China at all. Are they canceling or just not putting in future reservations? Yeah, no, they're, they're doing both. They're can't they had advanced reservations. They're canceling, and hotels are being very good about uh, refunding clients and uh, not charging credit cards, etc. They're being, I think, they're being uh, true sense of hospitality. They realize people aren't going to go. It's going to hurt the hotel, but you know you can't hold that against uh, the people that aren't going to certainly aren't going to go there. So I think hotels are fulfilling their end of the bargain. Yeah. Now, are they transferring to, let's say, Australia? Just transferring a location or just, you know what, forget? Well, Congratulations, by the way, on your uh, acquisition of Event Connect from Australia. <laughs> Speaking of Australia. Speaking oh, of Australia. Thanks, thanks. Well, let me say, like, the uh, business to the rest of Asia um, was holding, but it was uh, our business was way up in, in throughout the whole region. And then all of a sudden, coronavirus hits, and China starts taking a big hit, and then it tumbles, and now it's basically at zero. And uh, we're seeing a deceleration um, of, of bookings for the rest of Asia right now. 
So it appears that uh, uh, the press reports are getting out. You know, people are concerned. So there's certainly uh, significantly significantly less travel you know, going throughout Asia at the moment. That's really all all destinations: Hong Kong, uh, Thailand, uh, Australia. So there's just a general decline in people willing to take the risk. People saying, "Listen, I'm going to let this play out for a little while longer. You know, I'll put this off. I mean, I can." take my trip now what's the difference if i wait two weeks four weeks six weeks so i'll kind of put that off for the future what happens when we're dealing with a corporation that's doing um their annual event um would they move that to europe or let's say even somewhere in africa you know maybe south africa if they're a traveling company instead of asia i think that makes a lot of sense i think a lot of people would go to the united states so there's no travel ban coming into the United States except for China at the moment. So I, I think if uh, people would relocate, they would relocate to the United States. Uh, Europe seems to be doing uh, okay at the moment. So I think that would be a second option. Uh, but I think with the great destinations we have here, and if people still want to hold that meeting, they're going to rebook it, and they're going to go to uh, they're going to go to Miami because my we just had a great event in Miami. It was unbelievable. It was a, it was just a, a blast. Uh, they're going to go to New York. They're going to go to Las Vegas. Uh, they'll go to L.A. or San Francisco. Now, do you guys, um, with this being said, as hotelplanner.com or meetings.com, um, are you able to offer, for lack of a better word, a discounted price to attract that Asian business back into North America? Well, we specialize in getting people a great deal, especially on group travel. I mean, that is definitely our area of expertise. So if it's 10 or more, 10 or more rooms, that's what we qualify as group travel. And we're going to get discounts 25 to 50% below published rates. So if you go on the big OTA sites or the big uh, uh, hotel brand sites, you know, we're usually going to beat those prices by 25 to 50%. You know, we do that because through technology, we have great staff and a lot of personalized service. So we find you the right hotel for the right money. And uh, we're very focused on driving the best deal. Gotcha. Now, let's say I'm a company in Beijing and normally I would host my event in Singapore. Um, how would you guys, especially on a marketing aspect with the coronavirus, um, tell that company in Beijing, you know what? You really want to be in San Francisco. Well, I think it's going to sort itself out. Um, I, I think uh, you could certainly go to Singapore. The reported number of cases in Singapore seems to be pretty small. So that's uh, the, quest, the, the, the question is, uh, are, is that company really going to leave right now? So they have most of their employees are probably working from home at this point. So that's a, a good question if they're even going to take that trip. I, I think the companies in China, uh, which are planning group travel, they're probably going to take a pass right now. Gotcha. Does the State Department contact you? Um, and give you advice on travel restrictions or um, requirements due to what's happening right now on in mainland China? Uh, they do not. They do not. But we, we do read the federal website, so we're looking for information and updates on those websites so we can relay that information to our travelers as well. So we're, uh, we have a, a team of people, and this is really, you know, an emergency basis. So uh, we, we stay as 
as current as we possibly can to make sure we give people good advice. So if people call us and say, we're going to have a big meeting in Wuhan, we're going to say, like, that's just not going to happen. Let's just pass on that idea, and why don't you go somewhere that's a lot, uh, that just doesn't have the same incidence of the virus. And quick question. You know, I was listening to a post-earnings conference call. Christopher uh, Nassati is the CEO of Hilton, which, um, you know, he reported approximately mm-hmm. 150 hotels, you know, 33 rooms, uh, 33,000 rooms are closed in China as a result. Um, and they're really taking all this into their, you know, their um, bottom line. Um, but Tim was mentioning, you know, your partner, um, Tim was mentioning that, that it's been hit very hard. The bookings are down 50%, slow down of 30% in bookings. But you guys have had already anticipated to mitigate your losses for a re- brace for a recession, you know, that never happened. So you guys are uh, flush with cash. How, do you, how are you going to take advantage of this situation? Well, it goes back to our acquisition strategy. So right now, uh, we're a global company, but we're expanding our footprint in Asia. And we thought that this was a good time to deploy cash to look for uh, businesses that really at this point might be taking a second look at their competitive positioning. So they're saying, look, we just bought that company in Melbourne, Australia. It's a really solid company, and uh, but it's basically a one market uh, company. So they basically book all their business in Australia. So if Australia catches a flu, then they have a, they have a big problem. And, you know, with us, we, you know, we're a global concern. So and one of the reasons that we became a global concern, because, you know, it's hard to rely on any single uh, part of the world uh, to offset losses when a situation happens. Like, you know, in, in Miami or, or Florida, we have hurricanes. I mean, hurricanes mm-hmm. happen. So that puts a damper on what happens, you know, during hurricane season. So you got to kind of move. You got to make sure you can move your your team members around. All the technology is sitting in the cloud, so that's a lot safer. We disperse our employees all over the country. Uh, we employees in 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 team members in Europe. So there's a lot of places that uh, we have call centers in the Philippines. So so we kind of protected ourselves uh, as much as we can, you know, to those single incidences that there's a problem in China right now, but U.S. is doing fine. Business is solid in the U.S. In Europe, for us, is way up at the moment. So, like you purchased, you know, um, you purchased Australian-based um, Event Connect. Now, when you make that acquisition, is it more for the customer base, or do you actually acquire new technologies and um, new staff that's beneficial? Well, um, in Event Connect's uh, scenario, we actually acquired all three. So okay. we liked uh, the CEO Steve Coombs, so we thought he was a good leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, we liked the staff. We thought that they were dedicated staff, and they certainly. I talked to them last night. We had a great conversation. The first thing I said was, "I want to hear your accents." And uh, you know, it's cool to have <laughs> Aussies working on the team now. You know, it. it's just uh, it's just it it adds to the value. We think it adds to the value in the understanding of the local environment. Uh, these, these folks have been lived in Australia the whole life. They, they they're connected around the around the whole country. Um, and we think that uh, they book uh, they book uh, specific event locations. We we primarily book hotels. Uh, these guys are booking more uh, like um, event locations, like restaurants, and uh, they're doing more of their business in there. So that's a new market segment for us. Oh, great! And so let me ask you a question. So yeah. say like if I go to meetings.com and I get a hundred people for the office, and we're going to do some kind of conference. You guys set up everything for me, and then you what have something we, like the. When are we doing it? <laughs> I'll set up soon, but let me figure. out This is why I want to. Corey's find about out to first, sign a you know, verbal contract on him. air right now. So say we're ready to do it, and then COVID nineteen happens, and it's like a, a month before. I'm like, hey, uh, there's you know, a get out what of jail free clause, Bruce? right? Who who's on the hook? Like who deals with the problems? Who's on the hook for the cost to switch it? Um, well, how do you would, guys help would, out? We would help. 
yeah, we, I mean, that's one of the big benefits of working with us because we're going to be your advocate. So we're going to work with the, the different providers. We're going to work with the hotel and say, listen, we're not coming and uh, we want our money back if, if you put any money down to hold the rooms and we're not going to pay you the rest. And, and uh, we help our clients every day. We have uh, uh, lawyers on staff. We have collection departments on staff. So we have a lot of resources that an individual, individual consumer or even a company that has attorneys, but they're not familiar with hospitality law. So uh, it's a really, uh, I think, benefit, and uh, we deploy uh, our attorney in many situations to help our customers. So, you know, it's funny you bring uh, up the attorney aspect. Um, our earlier guest, uh, Dr. Penny Prime from uh, Georgia State University, um, she was quoted recently in an article regarding Delta, and Delta had waived their fees regarding the China flights, but only for one month. And I thought that was a little well, short-sighted. It's probably a rolling, I'm sure Delta is looking at this every 30 days. You have to put some limits around this just from a, from a, a business perspective. You just can't have open-ended uh, um, scenarios. So they'll, they'll say, okay, 30 days. And then they'll look at the situation as 30 days approaches. So, okay, now what do we do? Now, I, I expect uh, companies are going to make the right decision. They're not going to try to take advantage of, of, of their you know, loyal customers. These are people that go back all the time. And you know they're going to have a long memory uh, that in this situation, I'm certainly not going to travel to that part of the world. And uh, I certainly don't think it's fair that I, that I take the hit. You know, from a consumer standpoint. Yeah. Well, from so a corporate why, standpoint. That's the other thing that... I'm well, sorry, go on. I didn't mean to interrupt. That, no, no, I'm sorry. Too, but the uh, that's the reason that on a business strategy standpoint, you know, uh, speaking with Tim and the executive team, we're saying, listen, he, it could be a recession. So we should make sure we have enough cash in the bank that we can run for, uh, you know, for a, a long period of time, just in case a situation arises that, uh, you know, is negative. So we did dodge the recession, which very happy about, and and came into 2020. Things are great until uh, coronavirus happens, but it's nice to have that that safety cash in the mm-hmm. bank that we know we can operate, you know, for for the foreseeable future with no problems at all. Now, Bruce, just between us, and we won't tell anyone. How much money do you have in the bank? <laughs> Seven <laughs> figures plus. All right. So with uh, just as a tech geek here, uh, you know, with your, I guess you have a new ERFP group booking system, book in block and license, licensing technologies. What does that uh, mean? Yes, yes, yes. Man, you've done your research. I like this. I told you he was so, going to do that, uh, right? What? Did I not tell you he I was going to do that? You we didn't tell me. You didn't tell me <laughs> I should have bought that story, right? I told you to be prepared. He's going to bring up something from 1988 when you were on the soccer team. Yeah, exactly. And you missed the goal. All right. Well, what is it? I'm curious anyways. I'm very happy that you give us a chance to talk about our product. So there's a lot of uh, events that we do. We do very large events. There'll be 1,000, 2,000, 5,000, you know, hundreds of people that are attending an event. And a lot of times that will require more than one hotel. So we developed uh, uh, what we call book and block technology that allows the event planner to put the right person in the right hotel in the right room. So it's really about precision today. So if you're attending a, a major conference, like you guys are rock stars, right? So you're going to get the suites. Yes. Well, Johnny so can we have the make, economy room. I'll get make, the suites. I already have the suites. Okay. So I don't well, know what you're talking happen. about. Oh, so go on. Sorry. So, so, it, so it's making it easier uh, for the event planner to uh, set up a block of rooms, like 10 rooms, 20 rooms in a hotel, and book specific people in that block. Like we did a meeting for a very large company, Fortune 
500 company. And they said, listen, we have board members coming in. They're staying at this hotel. And every one of these guys, you know, gets the best room in the hotel. And there was a very small group of people, but I mean, it's their board, right? So they want to make sure that each one is, is extremely well taken care of. So they also wanted to showcase that these people could book that reservation uh, themselves or their assistant could do it and online versus sending in a form and having someone else call them back. So we set that all up online. So it was very simple for the attendee uh, to book the right room. Uh, at that specific hotel and get the suite that they were assigned. So walk us through the process. I want to call. I want to go to what website? Like say, what's the difference between meeting.com and hotelplanner.com? And what are the uses for both? Hotelplanner.com is really a business-to-consumer site, so it's really a retail website. And uh, on that site, you can book um, meetings of all sizes, and it tends to be more of a leisure experience. Okay. So people booking weddings and booking reunions. You know, there, there are a lot of small business meetings that go to Hotel Planner uh, to, to, to book their event. We also sell individual reservations. So we have great deals um, uh, at specific hotels. So uh, we have great pricing. So a lot of people going to that site just to book their individual travel. So that's so it's kind of a combination of combination of services we provide. And Meetings.com is really uh, targeted for business to business solutions. Oh, okay. So that's where you're talking you're talking to larger companies that plan. You know, we work with companies that plan literally thousands of events a year. I mean, they're that large. Now, if I wanted to vote on the 6th Annual 2020 European Group Travel Awards that you guys started, where do I go? <laughs> Tell us about that. I thought that we was interesting. The, we do two major events. And the first one, we do the American Group Travel Awards. And we moved that show from New York to Miami. And uh, people loved it. So we had about 300 uh, travel executives uh, come in for an award show. And what we do is that we go out to consumers and, and our mostly our customers and say, listen, who do you think does the best in group travel? Like, who's the best airline? Mm -hmm. Who's the best hotel company? And we ask consumers to give us feedback. Um, that show's very successful. It's uh, been selling out for five years. And uh, about four years ago, we started the European Group Travel Awards. So part of it's to build our brand. But listen, you know, there's not a lot of recognition and rewards for the people that, that uh, deliver group travel. Mm -hmm. it's, just, it's just one of those, those areas that doesn't get a lot of attention. And, but I can tell you, there's a heck of a lot of work and precision that's involved in delivering a great group travel experience. So really, we decided to create the awards to recognize the people in the organizations and the companies uh, that put a lot of effort into planning group travel and, and do an exceptional job. All right. Are you excited to see DJ Paul Oakenfold there? I remember yes, that sir. guy. Yeah, he, I remember that guy. I remember that name. That was from the college days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's old school. He's, uh, he's very cool. Well, you should go. Listen, next year, since you're in Miami, we're going to invite you because uh, I expect he'll be spinning for us again. But first of all, he's a great guy. Uh, very, it's so funny. I, we went to a, a small party and there was a bunch of people there. And, you know, and the people there, they know him. I mean, they partied with him. And they said, like, like, do you think I can go up and talk to him? And I go, listen, he's the nicest guy. Mm -hmm. well, not only can you go up and talk to him, and you, he'd be glad to take pictures. I mean, he wants, he wants to share the experiences you had with him. So he's one of those celebrities that we like because he's very, first of all, he, he does a great job spinning and, and creating the environment, uh, but he's also very open, very accessible, and uh, people walk away from that experience and say, oh my God, that was that was awesome. I can't believe I met Paul Okafold. You know, I got to tell you, for a guy from Boston, you really don't have much of an accent. 
you got me on that. Yeah, um, I, I, I figured you'd at least throw in a, a wicked somewhere along the line. You know, he's wicked smart. I know, and I should, especially with like the Super Bowl commercial. I should like I should get that accent back, right? <laughs> really, you know, it's unbelievable. So when's the when's the next party for uh, hotelplannermeeting.com? Well, next party's going to be in Europe, and it's the uh, first week of March. So we're we're planning on that. That's going to be a sold out affair. Uh, it's going to uh, go late into the evening. Uh, Is the that now in the Amsterdam like office? Uh, that's that uh, particular event's going to be in Berlin. Wow, you guys are fancy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We uh, there are times we like to go fancy. That is true. That is true. But I, I got to tell you, listen, we we look for the best deal for everybody. So, uh, like a lot of times, I would travel with my kids, and uh, here we'd be going to tour different sporting tournaments. And you know, you, you can't do four and five stars all the time. It's just like not in the budget. So you want to find the best deal for that particular event. So if people want to buy a three star hotel, two star, four star, five star, we 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 do it all for them. So it's hotelplanner.com. Yes, sir. That's the best. And now for corporate events, it's meetings.com. Am I correct? Right. Okay. Yes, that's, that's correct. So if I, if I was to use yeah, meetings.com, um, who am I? Like, what, what is the target market? You're, you're, you're usually um, a corporate event planner or corporation uh, that's looking just to use up more automation and to streamline their event um, purchasing process. I mean, there's a lot of uh, companies have a hard time. They, seriously, they'll do a thousand events. It's a hard to manage a thousand events. So uh, we come in with technology and tools and staff uh, that we help uh, do a lot of the planning, you know, with them. So it's really an elevated uh, service level. And a lot of companies want to outsource this too. I mean, they don't want to carry a lot of people uh, on staff that just plan meetings. So a lot of times that, that um, work falls on to someone that already has a full-time job. Right. So they go, hey, Mary, you know, we have a great idea. We have to plan 10 meetings uh, to launch our new sales effort over the next month. Can you just book it all? And by the way, you know, do that in your spare time because we still have a lot of other work for you to do. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we can help. We can help with that. It's just it's just how it happens. It's, it's, not, it's always been that way. I don't think it's going to change, but we provide the tech, the technology that makes it faster, easier. Uh, we make sure that uh, the corporation and the hotels get a fair deal. Uh, we look at the contracts for people, make sure that uh, everybody understands what they're signing and make sure that if other situations come up, and they always do, is the bill right? Is the bill wrong? You know, are they overcharging, undercharging? So we make sure all those pieces come together. All right. Now, Bruce, I don't want to hold you up all night. I know you have a, a life to live. But uh, as you know, I have been involved <laughs> in the event industry for God knows how many years with some of the top companies here in South Florida. So for those companies and those event managers, how do they get in touch with you? How do they start doing business with your company? And, uh, you know, technically the floor is yours for the next minute to let everyone know how to find you. Thanks. Well, they can go to meetings.com or hotel planner and there's a contact us uh, link and they can send a note. And if they've heard our conversation tonight, they should just ask for me. And uh, I'm very accessible. You know, we'd like to be very close to, to people that want to do business with us. Uh, so I'm very reachable. And uh, especially if they're in South Florida, you know, it's another reason to have a conversation. So those are the, the easiest and best ways to get us. Just go to um, hotelplanner.com, meetings.com, hit the contact us. Uh, link and uh, just send a quick email. I, I seriously, I get emails every day from around the world uh, that people come up with, you know, they come up with interesting ideas or opportunities. And um, 
Well, most of the time I'm responding to them myself. I say, listen, it's a good idea. You're like, you're in Amsterdam. You should talk to the guy who runs our Amsterdam office. And I'll just make that connection. You're the man, Bruce. Right, I Bruce, hope, thank you I much. hope that this is not your last time on the show. We'd love to bring you back and really get more involved in the corporate good. event aspect of life. Oh, but you're going to come to my event, right? In yes. Miami? I'm yes. going to send you an invitation, get you on the schedule. Please do. We'll do a show down there, too. Well, bring the equipment. I'll just go as a normal guy, but Corey, <laughs> he's more the VIP type. He's he's really fancy. Uh, uh, yeah. Special remote episode. Bruce, thank All you right, so Bruce, much for joining us. We'll see you coming up here okay, in Miami. Thanks a lot. All right. All right. Have a great night. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you. And to our audience, everyone, 880thebiz, Miami's Bloomberg affiliate, thank you again for another amazing episode with you tuning in. We're going to bring it back next week, 7 p.m.